Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 99%. The band is back together today. We've got Marilyn. Hey, guys. And Elliot. Hello, everybody. Whoa, sexy voice, Elliot. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about preseason. Uh, preseason kind of being defined as you've taken like two to four weeks for your off season where you've done hopefully not much. You're getting kind of itchy. You're getting ready to get started training. And you're like, oh, what should I do now? Should I do something totally crazy and different and random? Should I focus on one of the three sports? Should I get straight back into maybe um, the same volume of swim, bike, and run training, just with a different skew of intensity? So what exactly should my preseason look like? And we're going to kind of talk about some options and maybe try and put some guidelines around how you can structure different types of preseasons in order to be ready to rock and roll when your actual triathlon training starts. And, and to be clear, we're actually going to try and focus on the somewhat less frequent options or you're not just your straightforward. We're going to do a little lower volume, um, and intensity of swim, bike, run, and gradually build in evenly across all three. We're looking for some slightly out of the box, but still perfectly acceptable ways to go about it. So can you, can you kind of expand on that? Like what, so you just kind of gave maybe a version of what a typical preseason might look like, would you say? Sure. I think, I think if you were going to like, look at the kick cookie cutter version, um, where athletes don't have feelings and emotions, um, and they just kind of go chunk by chunk, you know, you'd start off easing, you know, you'd take your off season and then you'd do some swim, bike run across the board. The intensity would be relatively low, very minimal, and the volume would be low to moderate, especially in the first handful of weeks. And then, you know, you'd gradually build up volume and you'd add in a little bit of intensity. And then from there, it really depends on um, you know, once you get in six, eight weeks past that point, you're, then you just get into coaching philosophy on what's best for that athlete. But we're kind of talking about that first six, eight weeks, um, of, as you said, the preseason. Marilyn, do you have kind of the same view on what a typical preseason looks like? Kind of. I mean, I actually am, I didn't say this before we started, cause I wanted to say it on the podcast is I'm a little bit hung up on the, on the whole preseason thing is oh, mostly right. because it's, we're talking about this in December. And so I want to, I want to clarify when we're talking about this stuff to me, preseason, if you're working backwards from people's race calendar. So if you're looking at, okay, someone's got like <laughs> an, a race, their racing starts in February, right? We really would be in that preseason December. And the only reason I'm making a point of saying that is because it feels like for some people, you know, Indian Wells just happened and the race season just finished and it's Christmas and holidays and all of that. So people aren't even thinking in, in that terminology. They're going to hear us say preseason to start here and go, God, I've got months before that click. I'm turning them off. Right. However, so it's like exactly what you described. If you finished your last race, you've already had three to four weeks of rest and off. And then we're going to look at how do we start to use this period of time in a way to work towards next year backwards from when your race season starts? So I just wanted to like put that outline out there at the front. So people are shaping their mind around what it is we're really talking about. And it's this chunk of time where we're not in a race specific block, which might be varied from 
eight to 12 weeks out from your A race, some people 16 weeks, right? So it's this chunk of time that we've got some use for. And it's like, how do we best use that time? We've already rested, we've already recovered from our season. And we've got to we've got to make some changes mentally, physiology, maybe technically all these things. So um, yeah, I think what Elliot described there could be for Honestly, for very few people in my mind, I don't have too many athletes that I coach where we just keep rolling. There's a handful, but, and they're mostly beginners that don't have a lot of years under their belt and they're just going to benefit the most from, you know, a, um, a reduced intensity, reduced volume, swim, bike, and run, just keep it pretty consistent, maybe a little bit of different strength training and then, and then build that up and that kind of thing. But to me, uh, outside of real beginners that don't have a lot of years under their belt, then I think there is a lot of thinking outside the box. Like we've got this limited amount of time that we can make some changes before we have to get back into really, really key structured swim, bike, and run towards our race season. So what are we going to do with it? you know, and, and what's going to benefit each person the most to make the biggest changes for them. There's so many options, Jesse. I I, I think that's a fair statement. I wasn't trying to say that everybody should be doing that, but I do think that that's how most people imagine the preseason. And I think when you like read your training Bible books, that's how they describe the preseason, right? Nobody's going to say, here's your swim block. You're swimming nine times a week, or you're swimming six times a week when you normally swim twice. And um, or you're, you know, you're, you're doing a run streak or what, or whatnot, which is what we're going to get into. Right, Jesse. Yeah, exactly. And just to kind of do a flip side of Maryland's point, the other, the other thing is, is that there is a world championship coming up in five months, which is in triathlon. In triathlon, and yes, which is kind of soon, right? Usually people are like, oh, I've got like eight months or yeah. So, so that is kind of the, the flip side is that the timetables are a little bit skewed this year. So, but it does kind of depend on where you're at based on when your last race was and what your next race is. And I think the main point of all this is I think the preseason is a great chunk of time that people can really take advantage of and maybe just doing what you read in a book about lowering volume is not the most effective way to like make gains in the preseason. It's like the most effective way to bumble along and be ready to go, but maybe not like the the best way for you to have your absolute best race season next year. And the main issue there is Eddie Merckx never wrote a book where it just said chapter one, more is more go ride bikes. And that was the book. But um, if he did, maybe we'd listen to that. So are we gonna gonna start with uh, run streaks or swimming or or we? Well, Elliot, what are you doing right now? Well, me, I'm terribly out of shape. If you know me personally, uh, you're most likely to make fun of me and ask me what new size of pants I'm wearing. Um, and the answer is, do you want to tell the listeners? No, I don't. But it's okay. one inch bigger than it used to be, and they used to barely stay on. So, um, anyways, the point is that. Uh, I think I'm 25 or 26 days into a run streak where I'm just trying to run 30 minutes or more every day. It's all super easy. Um, but I mean, I've done these things before and they've been effective before. Um, and, and the main thing is that you're just like making a commitment where uh, so much of it is about the commitment. It's like, am I going to get fitter from just getting out the door every day? Like, does your overall volume go up? Yes. But in this case, like the goal is not 
um, how much I run every day. It's, can I run the next day? And then does running then become part of your life? So like for me, if I'm aiming for like a hundred days or whatever, two, two, a month or two months, um, how do you feel at the end of that month or at the end of that two months? And often how most people feel on a run streak is that all of the sudden an easy run a 30, 40, 50 minute run doesn't beat them up. And that's the main takeaway. It's like, oh, then running can be a part of your life and you can add other things in without feeling beat up. Um, and ideally you will have, if you do it appropriately and you never run too fast or too long, your bone health, ligaments, tendons are going to be in a really good position to handle more mileage and to handle more intensity. Um, and so for me in particular, that's basically, I'm, I'm literally doing this so that I can hopefully do easy runs with Erica without dying. Right. I could do them before, but I was then just smoked for the rest of the day. Um, and, and, and that's the main goal for me. It's not a training one, but the, the theory, you know, if I was getting ready and trying to run like Jesse, like, well, you've done it now, but when you were first trying to run sub three off the bike, um, in an Ironman, you, you know, running frequency was, was a big part of that. Would you, would you not say? Yeah, totally. So your goal right now isn't like run speed or anything, but it's, it's more like that resilience that you need not to throw a Dixon word around, but, but would you, would you agree with that? That resilience you get from running like day after day. I did not know Charles Dixon talked about running, but anyways, um, I got your joke for those listening. If you did too. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you. And no, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to actually say that you do something similar with a lot of your athletes. Hey, you do a December run challenge. Me you're talking to. I, yes, I'm, I'm Marilyn. We're talking you to you. Can't tell I'm looking at you. Boys' right now. club on. is over, Marilyn. You're right. invited to the podium. Well, 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 Marilyn just wraps her head around the fact that it's her turn to talk. I just want to mention the fact that the pictures behind Elliot are literally driving me insane. I, I'm having trouble looking at you between those two guys. Clint Eastwood <laughs> as a cat, John Wayne as a dog. That's that's behind me. Insane. Like, what's going on there? Anyways, well, the thing, thing I, I've noticed with people in this period of time is you know, motivation is a bit of an issue. The weather's changed. It's a little darker. It's cold in a lot of places. And it's really RFP, dark in a lot of places. If yeah, you're in Northern Europe or you're in Canada or it's mm -hmm. dark. Yeah. And, and people are really feeling like, you know, they look at this time of year, motivation drops a little bit and they're, they're hanging on to that feeling of, I need rest. And what I want most people to consider instead of hanging on to that is what can I do that's most productive in this period of time to better myself for next year? And so I, that's the first thing I want to throw out there is if you're still hanging on to I'm, I'm tired from last year or I'm needing rest or I'm still in this sort of sedentary state or recovery state, let's switch that off and start to think about next year and what can I do in this period of time to make myself a better athlete and a different athlete for next year. So that means doing something different than what you can do in your normal training. So one thing I developed in my program a number of years ago, and it's, it came over, we used to do an endurance corner. We had a big steel challenge. We had the EC swim challenge. Um, we had the, the run challenge. These were all things that we did in the winter. And the one thing I started incorporating with my group a number of years ago was, the, was the run challenge because you know, December's busy for a lot of people and the weather is not that great. So, you know, they're not going to want to sit on their trainer for hours. They're going to, you know, maybe be done with the same routine all of the time. And where can we get the most bang for our buck is 
let's get out and run every single day, but let's also develop a network and a little competition that we run every single day through the month of December to Christmas. And then we have a little running race on either Christmas Eve or Christmas day. You can do it either day and record it. And, and the people who, who we have challenges, like little awards throughout the entire competition. And um, from that, everybody gets out the door every day. What I noticed by doing this year after year is it directly impacted every single person's season for the next year in a positive way. They're, they came out of doing that and it set them up then to get into more structured training in January really well. And they were a lot fitter, a lot mentally fresher, and they're running improved for the next year. So I think creating situation, understanding people's mindset at this time of year, shifting it over and creating a situation that puts them in a place where they have something that's going to make that change with support around it. That's how you can structure it within your coaching program to, to get everybody in the right place for, for this kind of, okay, we're going to do a block set of training. Um, that's, that's where that came from. Awesome. Thank you. you. You threw a few things out there that I want to kind of throw around to everybody. I talked for a long time. I didn't, wasn't going to talk at all. And then I talked for a long time. <laughs> I, I had to take notes. I had to remember what the different points you made. I so I refer back. It was halfway hard. Through, everyone I had like seven post-its going on. I went to the bathroom. What was going on? <laughs> yeah. Everybody fell asleep. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I got carried away. No, that all was right. good. Boy, so, I guess it's me. Uh, so one of the things that you talked about in there was, was blocks. And I want to get back to that, but you also mentioned mindset and that's, that's something that we talked about a little bit before that I definitely want to talk about. And I think that an athlete's mindset during this time of year can be very different based on the athlete. But I think one thing we need to be really careful of is like kind of conserving mental energy. And we don't want to expend a huge amount of mental energy in December and January and then get to when they really need it come like race prep and they're all out of that mental energy and they're burned out already. And Elliot's already raising his hand because he is like psyched to, to talk about the mental side of this. So instead of me rambling on for any longer, I'm going to let him jump in and, and talk about maybe mindset and in the preseason. Well, I think you just nailed it. So Maryland's cause yeah, cause my opinion matters the most in the three of us. Um, <laughs> Don't Definitely. nod, Marilyn. That's bad reinforcement. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So Marilyn's idea is like, why does? But why does it? Like the the question is, why does it help everyone? So, like you've seen it help other people. Why am I even trying to do this? Right. I mean, I'm not racing competitively or anything, but I do think it can be really valuable for some people. And I think the reason is. What is something that takes not a lot of mental energy at a time of the year when you don't have a lot of mental energy, but then gives you a lot of physical back and maybe it doesn't take a lot of mental energy, but you still kind of like feel like triathlon is a part of your day every day. And I think that's the combo of those two things that a run streak can really help with because every day I have to put aside 30 ish minutes and there's not a day I can blow off. So I'm always kind of thinking about it, but then at the end of the day, it takes 30 minutes. It's not a big deal. And then what's the physiological benefit? Like we just went through that. There's, um, there's tons of reasons that, a, that a run streak, um, can go really well for you. And so it's that combo of then like when the run streaks over, you know, you're, you're not really like mentally exhausted. If anything, you're like, kind of like looking for times when you can add more. 
the, the last time I did this, unfortunately it ended with me rolling my ankle on like day 88. Um, but like up until that point, I was just like, once I passed the 50 day mark, I was just kind of rolling. And then I was much easier to add in swimming and running or swimming and biking. Um, and I do personally, I do a lot of like yoga and Pilates and strength work, stuff like that. So it was just easier to add in extra stuff, even though it was like, reasonably speaking, I should have been tired from my streak. It was more like a rejuvenation. And I'm assuming you're seeing a lot of that Marilyn yourself. And so like from the mental perspective, it's like, what's it for your athlete or, or for you, if you're listening to this, maybe the run streak would take a lot of mental energy. So then maybe this streak's not the idea for you, but like I got into the sport through running through high school, cross country and track. Right. Um, and, and some people really like running. And so I think that's something where a streak like this or a certain thing might help you get back. And I've even, I'm going to switch it up on you. Um, like I've had people I coach who came to the sport from body, like from heavy lift, like strength training, right. However you want to call it um, powerlifting or weightlifting, there is a difference between the two, but people who are doing like very serious lifting and they do serious lifting in the off season because it makes them feel like kind of normal for lack of a better term. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of mental energy to do, and it's, it's fun and it's something they get away from and they do really enjoy triathlon, but there's this part of them, they, they kind of have to lose so then they can get back to it. And then there's a bunch of benefits for them being back in the, the weight room. Um, and I'm sure Marilyn, you can touch on that since you know way more about weightlifting than both of us. Yeah, I think, um, there is some risk if you've got athletes that want to get into blocks of time in this, in this period of time, if they get into something that is too far away from swim, bike and run, there can, some challenges can be presented for sure. Right. So if they're looking, Hey, my race season is, you know, months and months away. I want to use something else to continue my fitness. I think as coaches, we have to smartly direct people on what to choose. Right. And so if it is something like the ones that I do like are skate skiing, snowshoeing, um, you know, run blocks, swim blocks, where we break down technique, those kinds of things. If someone comes to me and says, Hey, look, I'm going to just barely maintain swim, bike and run, or I'm even going to give swim, bike and run a rest for the next eight weeks, but I'm going to just predominantly do CrossFit. That's going to be a conversation we're going to have between coach and athlete where I think there's a lot of risks there. There's, and there's not going to be a lot of benefit towards swim, bike and run. Is it great to go do? And is it mentally maybe refreshing? Yes. Is our period of time of building back to swim, bike and run properly? Uh, it's going to, it's going to take a hit pretty far backwards versus if you do a run block, you're going to be pushed forward and it's going to be productive towards your next season. So I think it needs to be really specific about what we're picking to do in this preseason time that is mentally refreshing, but it really, really needs to be beneficial towards your overall outcome goals. So what about those winter sports that you mentioned makes them a good fit? Like if an athletes are searching for sports to, to maybe do that are different than swim bike run, what about those sports makes them a good option? Well, I would like you to tell your story of your ski race, because I think that's a really good one and you got a lot out of that. And so I think you should be the one to share that experience. I mean, I I've coached a lot of people with that, but I love that story. So um, okay. 
A long, long time ago, Iron Man Arizona took place in the spring. Probably no one else remembers that except us because it was a really long time ago. Uh, but I was getting ready for Iron Man Arizona and I got bamboozled into signing up for a 40K cross country ski race from Crested Butte to Aspen. Um, and that was like eight weeks before Iron Man Arizona, which is not long enough. It was not a good idea. But I decided to do it. And so that meant all winter long, I was going out with a group of guys and we were doing these kind of giant cross-country skis where we'd cross-country ski for like six hours every Saturday and maybe like three hours the Friday before or something. And I was trying to, I was also trying to get in some swim bike run around that, like normal swim bike run during the week. And then try and then yeah, trying to still do some longer stuff on the weekend on top of that. But my my swim bike run volume was lower than it's ever been going into an Ironman because of all the cross country skiing. And was I was like this your second Ironman. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think Just, so. I mean, for somebody who's done like what, 20 Ironmans by now, or even more, this is early in the game. You, you were not, not racing professionally or anything. No, I, yeah, it might've been my third actually. I might've done. Yeah. I okay. Three, but it's er, early on in, in your vast it, career. Extremely. Sure. Um, so did a ton of cross country skiing, spent a ton of time outside. It was super fun. I felt very underprepared. Um, the race took us like nine hours and it started at like midnight. So it was us. Were you holding hands? Well, you had to have a partner because you're going through mountain passes and you have to have someone with you. So that if there's like an avalanche, someone knows where you went down. Wait, so, so was this a AT race or was this a, it, like it was skin up, ski down, or was it like a skate ski race? Uh, we had skins for, for a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. It was like ski rando. Sure. It was we've got country. races. Yeah. We've got races like that in Missoula. Yeah. There, country league. Started in Crested Butte, finished sure. going down the ski slope in Aspen. Mm -hmm. um, my partner was a much better skier. I had more endurance. We were a horrible match. Uh, we hated each other after that. Super nice guy though. Um, but point is I got to the starting line of Arizona. I felt woefully underprepared because I wasn't logging my ski miles as like time and had by far my best Ironman yet to date. Yes, it was only my third, but the, I, the, the takeaway is that I spent a ton of time working on my aerobic base, which at that point in my life was pretty low. So logging all these long days were really, really helpful for that Ironman, even though there was only an eight week gap. How much, how much bikes? So like I have athletes that I coach and we use, we use skate skiing and we use the winter sports in, mm -hmm. in this period of time. What do you mm -hmm. guys feel like is enough bike swim, bike and run to stay in touch with it while they do this other stuff? Cause some people say, don't worry about doing anything else. Just go skate ski for the next four weeks. And that's going to be enough. You said you kept in touch with swim, bike and run while you were preparing for this race. And then you had your best Ironman today. So like, what did that actually look like? Was it two bikes? Was it like an one hour bike twice a week? Was it run every day? Was it run once a week? Was it swim three times a week? Like, what did that actually look like to stay like in touch enough? You were getting in like at least eight hours of serious skiing on every weekend. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some variability there in, in the amount of skiing I was doing, but I'd say it's a good, like, um, 
ballpark. Um, but I would say I was probably still trying to do three sessions in each sport a week. Um, oh, was, and since that's happening Monday through Friday, that's quite a bit. And well, and sometimes, you know, I was crazier than, than I am now. And I'd wake up early and jump on the trainer for like, you know, 90 minutes and then meet them for a six hour ski. So I, I was doing some stuff like that. Sure. I didn't have a wife or kids at the time. Um, what would you though? So like one way I do it with, with my people is I actually use the ski in the winter as a replacement for like a long ride or a long run on the weekend. So like their mm-hmm. weekday still really looks very much like swim, bike and run. And, and maybe one day during the week, if they have access to it, like a short loop track or something like that, that they skate ski on, we can use that as like their interval run or something like that. So it might be their structure of their week doesn't change that much. It just might be that one of the sessions that we typically would have done outdoors on the bike or on the run is now a ski. So for example, like Monday through Friday might still be, you know, 45 minutes in the morning, an hour at night or 30 minutes, you know, in the morning and an hour at night or whatever. And a a nice balance between swim, bike and run and gym, if it's that preseason. And then the weekend we go and ski all weekend, you know, and then they get those like long hours out on the weekend, out on snowshoes or skis or, or something like that. How would you, how do you program that, Ellie? Because you got a lot of Canadians, uh, uh, you know, where they're dealing with a ton of winter. You know, you're in Mo- up in Montana, same thing. So, is it like don't even worry about swim, bike, and run, or is it you know s- similar to what I'm suggesting there? What is how do we you just that? chop wood and ski <laughs> and eat beef jerky, and that's how so you do log it. rolling? Um, no, actually, some water. <laughs> so, like, I think it's really interesting. I think it's super specific to each person. And I don't cut back on swim frequency like at all if the person is not a great swimmer. Um, if the person is a great swimmer, I'm probably going to cut back on swimming a lot. I'm almost for sure going to, if the person's Can like, I really, interject right there really quick. Yeah. Would you, would you apply that same principle to all three? Like, no. If no. Okay. So, like riding, um, unless the person is just an absolute beginner. I'm much more likely to just take out riding and throw in skate skiing, or I have people who skin up mountains and ski down. I have people who skin up mountains, take the lift down. I have people who snowshoe up mountains and take the lift down or snowshoe up, snowshoe down. And I'm talking about like ski mountains with multiple thousands of feet of vert. And this is like something we do every winter. Um, and depending on the year, maybe they're doing it once, once a week, maybe they're doing it three times a week. Um, but that's like a lot of time outside. And so for a lot of these people, it's like managing their outside time in a, in a time of year where it's hard to get outside time. So for the physical development there, it's just like Jesse said, it's massive aerobic development, but for the mental space of it, like there's, I mean, like if you, if you look into the statistics in a place like Montana, you know, um, like people get uh, seasonal affective disorder. Like that's a real thing. So like, how are you going to be outside as much as possible? And then you're on top of that. These are people who want to be outside anyways. So we're managing that, but the bonus is just this huge aerobic base. And I've never really had anybody who was consistently cross-country skiing or like doing this kind of volume, um, have trouble like shifting back and sure maybe they're riding once or twice a week, but if they used to ride four times a week and now they're riding twice, and then they have two skis, no issues. And then same thing as what you said, Marilyn, like I, I don't cut out the running as much purely from a pounding perspective. 
because I do just like how we're talking about the run streak. I want the uh, I want that like bone health um, as best we can. So I'm more likely to cut out riding and place it in for a ski or snowshoe or something. But if it's a snowshoe, it's a little more pounding. I'm more likely to swap that for a run. And then swimming wise, um, it's just depends on the person. So swimming is probably the one I'd cut out the least, to be honest. So do you have, and this is for both you guys, you guys have like a minimum number of runs, bikes, and swims that you want to see in a week in a preseason. And I know like, obviously this is going to depend, but like, just if, if I'm asking you, if I'm pinning you down for a generic answer. Two. Two across of all the, three. Across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm more like two bikes, three swims, three runs. I'm nicer. <laughs> I do think you have to be really, I think you have to be really careful with strength training when you're adding in something like skiing, because that has an element of, um, it, it's, it's pretty high intensity and there's quite a bit of strength involved in that and snowshoeing. So if you are doing that, That's make sure true. you're keeping a pretty close record on total, total amount of work being done in the week. Cause that's how athletes get overloaded pretty quickly. So if they're staying in touch with, and I liked what you said there, Elliot is, you know, really staying in touch in the water is, is good because that's going to just, you know, technically it's important to have frequency in the water, especially people who didn't grow up swimming. And there's going to be an element of recovery as well as you can really get a, a, a lot. You can get a lot of fitness. People can swim a lot and not it's very low risk, right? It's so, so keeping that really high, I think is great. However, if you're, you know, if you're backing off the run and you're backing off the bike and you're out there skiing and snowshoeing and you're thinking, well, I'm also going to up the gym, that might be a programming error and you'll find yourself burnt out or injured. If you, if you go that direction, I would say, keep the swim volume up, stay connected to the running back off the biking and use the skiing and the, especially if you're downhill skiing or you are, you know, doing some of this extreme type, um, snowshoeing and, and all of that stuff, there is, you know, there's so much strength already in that. If you're hitting the gym and that, that's probably going to be a little bit too much for most athletes. I'm just imagining somebody walking across a flat snowshoe trail, just yelling extreme while they, tr <laughs> while they like trip over like a log in the road. They're like, right. they're just walking with things on their feet. But, but that's just I, like a I, really, no, that's a common programming error is because they're like, oh, it's the off yes. season. So I'm going to snowshoe and I'm going to skate ski and I'm going to hit the gym really hard. And I'm going to back way off swimming because I don't want to get wet and it's cold out now. And actually to me, that's just like uh, not enough experience with actual outcome of consistent programming to know how that plays out. And I sure. can tell you that I can, I'm just letting people know, like my recommendation is and how, what I've, how I've seen that play out is not good. It is injury. It is a little bit of burnout and you're better off to take the recommendations that I'm talking about there on that end. I would, I would agree. And I would say that the, my, from my perspective, downhill skiing or like, or, I mean, I have people who snowboard too, or I have people who split board, but like the people who are doing like true downhill skiing, and especially if they're doing any jumps or any sort of like more serious downhill skiing, that's where you're really going to like have to watch that stuff and it can be super pounding. And then the snowshoeing, it just really depends on the terrain. Cause there's some snowshoeing where it's like, snowshoeing is almost just the same as like aggressive uphill walking on a treadmill. And then there's other snowshoeing where you're like, yeah. And then I hit this ledge and then we had to take off our snowshoes and we did some cramponing and then I fell and that all of a sudden it goes from like me making a joke about snowshoeing being not hard at all to like 
you did eight hours of snowshoeing, you probably shouldn't lift anything for three days because it beat you up a lot. And it's great aerobically, right? It's good for a lot of things, but it is bringing in this massive stress. Um, and you're hundred percent right. And it's just, it's funny how that like with winter sports, like changing snow conditions and changing vertical, um, can change the outcome of the workout significantly, even more so than like wind on a bike ride or, or weather on a bike ride. They're chopping the water. But to your same point, if you're riding up a mountain versus riding on a, a flat path, you know, it has that same kind of effect, right. Of like snowshoeing sure. across a lake. Um, and I, one other thing I would also be wary of too, is, is I think skate skiing is like a great workout, but I think it's very much like VO2 oriented versus some of these other things we're talking about, where it's like working on like aerobic fitness and somebody doesn't skate ski very well. I'm just kidding. It's pretty but high intensity. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the highest VO2, but yeah, you're right. But you can do it easily on an easy course though. Cause skate skiing is like super skill dependent. Right. Right. But I guess in general, when I see people skate ski, they go out there and they skate ski really hard and do a couple of hot laps and they say, yeah, that was awesome. Like, oh, really? I mean, I'm yeah. being dead serious. I'm, this isn't a joke. Like, I, I feel like, I wonder if it's just because I, some of the people I coach have like skated, have spent more of their life skate skiing and have been able to use it as like an easy, long, the same way you do an easy, long flat bike ride. Yeah. I guess I I'm, I'm picturing more like people going after work to their golf course. Cause that, yeah, groomed. I skate ski, how you're describing. It's a total mess. I'm falling over and I'm crazy out of breath and I do an hour and it feels like I did like a three hour hard ride. Or like, even if you do like two 20 minute, like really hard laps and, and that's what you're doing for like your, yeah, your, that's your super high stuff. intensity. Yeah. And that's, that's not, I think not going to have that, that kind of in, aerobic endurance base work that we want to get out of it. And so if that's what someone's doing, then it's like, well, maybe you actually do need that three hour trainer session. That's easy. Like, I mean, if they're going to mentally be okay with that, because that's not going to, going to maintain that, that endurance aerobic base that we want them to maintain. Yeah. So I think the main takeaway from that is that you, when you're programming this stuff in, you're looking at your total program, making sure you understand the workouts that you're doing and what it's replacing. So what if you're doing, so we're talking about a couple of different topics. We're talking about block training and how to implement that. And then, and then stay in touch with the other ones while you make these improvements with these big block training. And the other one is incorporating, um, completely non-swim bike and run things that are most beneficial towards getting you better for the next season. And how do you actually program that in so that you're not going to risk missing something or overdoing it. So like you're saying, Jesse, if, if you're like, okay, I actually skate ski at a real high intensity, maybe, maybe that in the off season or your preseason counts for your track workout that you normally do, or your, you know, your VO two bike that you do. And that is actually programmed as part of it. And you say, okay, well, that's not actually my aerobic day. Whereas when I described like the weekdays where we are very balanced in the swim, bike and run, we use the weekends to ski. That's a very aerobic thing. We're outside all day and we're out there aerobically and, you know, working on that and being out in the outdoors, that kind of thing. So it's in replace of a four hour ride. It's in place of a two hour run, that kind of thing. However, if it's that two lap sprint, that might be on a Thursday night where normally you do your VO two trainer session, or you might be doing your normal track session that day. 
So you're working that energy system. You still balance it correctly throughout your week and make sure that it's programmed correctly in terms of training stress. And so that nobody gets overdone or hurt or anything like that. So those are the most important things I think to really consider when we're, when we're looking at this type of stuff. And, and that's where I think people have the most risk of going wrong at this time of year. And, and that's where, if you're not sure sticking close to that home base of the traditional model that we talked about at the very start, that might be where you start. And then if you're starting to think about these things, you know, reach out to someone who has experience and, and, you know, make sure that you're not just throwing a bunch of eggs against the wall and hope that you come out of the preseason ready to race because <laughs> you probably, you know, there's, there's, there's serious things to consider so that you don't get hurt or burnt out. Is one of the major takeaways, I guess, of all of these various snow sports is like, we recognize, especially if you don't have a history in some of them that they can be really intense and small amounts of that is okay. But like where people have had a lot of success with, you know, backcountry skiing or cross country skiing or snowshoeing, um, is when those things tend to be a way to get outside at a generally low intensity. And that's where you can play around with it with a lot less repercussions. Is that a good summary or. Yeah, I, th I think so. I think, I mean, I guess in my mind, this is a great time to work on that aerobic base. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm just, I'm just, but like Marilyn, is that like a, a fair summary of your point where like somebody could be more aggressive, if you will, with the non-swim bike run sports, if it's a low intensity thing, whereas if it's like serious lifting or, uh, unskilled cross-country skiing, like I do, then how you program that in is going to be a lot more particular and not so laissez-faire. And you, you're going to have to like, just kind of keep that in mind. Like the more intense it is, let's just like, you can still do it, but there's a lot more repercussions and it's not just like a fun day out. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just smartly programmed. If you understand, it's like anything, you understand what the goal of the session is and then you place it accordingly in your week. You know uh, if it's, if it's a high intensity session, place it accordingly balanced into the training that you're doing and the, and the, the block that you're in and within the week. So that's, um, is that it just for, for my, was that your beep? <laughs> it's just my coffee maker. <laughs> oh, I could use a black tea right now. Um, you can pass that through the computer. So, um, I, I just lost my train of thought thinking coffee. Um, <laughs> you need a coffee. I think, I mean, what you're saying, I'm just saying that regardless of what it is that you're, you're doing, whether it's high intensity or it's a long aerobic base day and you're using a, a different sport, make sure you understand the impact of that sport and program it correctly around all the other workouts. So for example, I have another guy who's using squash as his cross training through the preseason. Mm -hmm. Now he was a competitive professional squash player. So he's very experienced. He knows what he was doing when he was younger. He played, he played in college and we're using this as part of his, he wants to incorporate it and makes him mentally fresher. He wants to get back in touch with that sport and those people. And so, okay, this is something we're going to do. So I have to be very careful about how that's programmed according to 
the total stress of his weeks and around the other sessions. And that's your job as a coach. And if you're looking at your own program, like how would you program then? Well, we have to make sure that we're incorporate. We ha- understand that that score, it has a lot of explosive movement, a lot of side to side, probably have the same effect as a lot of plyometrics, that type of stuff. And, and so how I, you can't just throw it in there willy nilly and think that it's not going to have some kind of training stress impact on the other sports. Is it really beneficial towards swim, bike and run? No, not really. But it's like, you know, mentally for him, it's what he wants to do through this season. And can I keep him progressing in, in the sport that is important to him while including that? Well, that's up to me to make sure it's programmed correctly. So he doesn't get hurt and, and he can still do all of this. I'm going to talk about the fastest cyclist I've ever coached. Um, race cyclocross worlds three times for Canada has won a UCI cross race. He's retired now, but his off season. So like first he would rest and then we regulate, he's from, um, Squamish or Jesus. He's not from Squamish Smithers, British Columbia. So look it up on a map. It's in the middle of nowhere, way up there. So he would generate like worlds is usually the end of January, um, early February and, and for cyclocross. And then he'd usually race one or two more times and then he'd he'd go home. And so he would take, you know, like six or eight weeks and he wouldn't ride at all. And then he was often expected to be in a couple like regional level road races, um, in April, but his six to eight weeks, he would cross country ski generally only skate ski. And he could do that through the end of March because of where he grew up and he would wrestle his uncle was an Olympic wrestler for Canada, got fifth in the Olympics. His dad was the high school wrestling coach. He wrestled growing up. So like you're, you're seeing some parallels, maybe why we got along, right? We rode bikes and we wrestled growing up. Um, and so he would like jump into practice twice a week or three times a week wrestling. And he would skate ski almost every day. And, you know, the first couple of days of wrestling, he would really have to ease in. And the first couple of days of cross country skiing, he would really have to ease in, but essentially his training was really low intensity skiing. Cause he's just, he's a great skier. So he didn't have any of these heart issues with technique. He could just like glide. Right. Um, and then wrestling, same thing. He's a grown man wrestling high school kid who he himself was a, was a quality high school wrestler. And so he's, but you know, we would always make sure like, Hey, no, you can't wrestle two days in a row until you've done like three weeks of wrestling. And to your point about squash, it's that same idea, right? The guy you're talking about was, was a very competitive squash player, but I'm sure he's not just going in like, oh, it's squash season. I'm going to do double days for the first week. That would be a terrible idea. Um, so like then you're easing in. So then what this at my athlete took away from this was just this massive aerobic base at a really low intensity that was fun and outside and he's got tons of outside time. And then he had like personal interaction with a, with a sport he used to do that was really explosive. And it had a ton of core work and a ton of mobility, two things that you don't get to do a lot of when you're racing three, four, five professional cyclocross races in Belgium every day. Um, and I'm sure that's not that, you know, like Sven nice. That's not how he's spending his off season. Um, but anyways, it's a, it's just an interesting perspective on that explosiveness as well as that low intensity. And that worked for him to not touch the bike, probably because he had so much experience on the bike. Whereas yeah, I mean, he's riding his bike six days. He's he's riding his bike six days a week for 45, 46 days of the year or 46 
weeks of the year. And then he's got those six weeks where he doesn't ride at all. Exactly that. Yeah. I'm always going to recommend for athletes that are really looking to make the most use of this preseason time to get better at triathlon or bike racing or running or whatever is just is to, to think outside the box as close to home as possible. And what I mean by that is like your skill set. Yeah. I mean, doing these other sports, right. Is great. And it's mentally refreshing. And it might, if you understand the impact of that sport, it might benefit you. However, I think if you want to be really good at swim, bike and run, you should focus your energy on where's, where's my most improvement in this block of time with swim, bike and run. So should I be doing a swim block? Should I be doing a run block? Should I be doing a cycling? Should I travel somewhere warm if I live somewhere cold for four weeks and do a really big bike block where I do just a ton of miles, try and log 400 miles a week for three weeks and see what that feels like without a lot of stress on the, on the swim and the, on the swim and the run. So these kinds of things, I think if you're, if you're going to make the most use of your preseason time and you're trying to get better at swim, bike and run, that's where your energy and time should be spent. So I think it's good to talk about these other things like skiing and snowshoeing and wrestling and squash and all that. But I want to bring people back to home to say, look, we, you need to be specific to your sport through this time if you want to get good at your sport. So yes, is it mentally refreshing? Is there some benefit in this stuff if you have no other choice or that's what you choose to do? Absolutely. Do you have to be careful how you program it and understand how it programs with the other stuff? 100%. Get good advice on that. Know how to do that. But if you're going to look at this period of time and make the most use of it to be better for the next season, try and stay close to the sport that you do. I mean, you took it up because you love swim, bike and run. So it shouldn't be that hard for you to stay that closely connected to it. You know, I agree with all that. I I mean, I'm just trying, like he was one of my more extreme off seasons. And I also think that when you're a professional and you have so much frequency throughout the year, you can get away with more, um, unusual off seasons, uh, as long as they are like making you super aerobically strong. Um, which is, which is like, which is like the background. It's like, well, if every, if everybody has like crazy high, like, um, I'd actually be curious, like Alistair Brownlee, right. In his off season, all he's ever done is swim, bike and run. I don't think he like, you know, his off season is to run cross country and do swim meets. It's like, it's the exact same thing. I was like, nothing's changed. So if you're wondering how like the greatest short course triathlete of all time does his off season, it's, it's cause his pastime is swim, bike and run. And to your point, like that's what you see a lot of people. And it's like, well, I'm still running, but now I'm running over hills. It was like, well, you're still running, dude. Well, I'm swimming, but now I'm doing a little more fly. It was like, so you're swimming. Yeah, which Um, is good. I mean, that's why, you know, that's, he's getting good at his trade, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And so I think like a lot of these other things though, is like, if you have another skill or if you have something that you like want to do, that's not swim, bike and run, because you just have another adventure you want to do. I think like the the whole reason is like go out and do that adventure, um, and have fun with it. But at a certain point, if it's not making you aerobically fit and, and it's not going to benefit your swim bike and run that time of year will have to come to an end and, and you're going to have to stay frequent with your swim bike and run. And And one thing you said there that I think kind of rings true for probably most of our audience is kind of the more you do swim bike run throughout the year, the more leeway you have to be inconsistent in the preseason. But if our athletes or the people listening are only swimming, biking, running, say twice, as far as frequency goes during the year, 
they probably can't deviate that much in their preseason, right? They probably still need to be swimming, biking, running twice during this time. So it definitely depends, right, on, on how much frequency and contact you're having with the sport outside of that. 100%. But, yeah, I think there's also nothing wrong with swimming, biking, and running in the preseason. And, and maybe, again, switching that intensity distribution, maybe you're working on some fast 25s fly in the pool, or maybe you're working on your 30 second jumps on the bike or something, you know, kind of switching it up from Ironman power or whatever it is, but, uh, but yeah, or just riding it. a different how, bike. How is your, yeah. uh, how is your 30 second jump today, Jesse, in your off season, in your preseason? <laughs> I was going to say I was like sprint. And I was like, did he even, what? I was like, what's, were we sprinting? What's happening here? No, no, we were not. We we don't know how to sprint over here. I, I even said to you on the, the second time, I was like, there's a city limit sign coming up. You didn't even look. I was like, oh boy. Jesse, Please. have you ever been not last place in a sprint in your life on the bike? Uh, only if I pick the sprint and no one knows. Um, <laughs> hey, that's I, a good thing. You don't want to be a sprinter if you're doing iron bands. Um, in my defense... Marilyn, I am in a balking phase right now. Yeah, he's balking. He did say he did like 8,500 lunges before we rode. So yeah, I am making lifting a priority. So I'm doing it first thing in the morning. I think if our podcast has taught us one thing, that might be too many lunges, Jesse. I'm just joking. Uh, I'm being sarcastic. I I know. (laughs) All right. We are way off topic. That was a lot of fun. Um, we're going to kind of continue this conversation next time and focus just more on that swim block side of things. So we're going to talk about kind of ways you can execute an effective swim block and some swim technique stuff. So if you're psyched on that, make sure you listen next time. Um, but hopefully you guys glean some information on in the weeds and then Marilyn actually pulled us back out of the weeds and, and get, did a good 10,000 foot view on that, which was helpful because Ellie and I were stuck in the trenches for a little bit. So thank you. Um, I Check live in the road. trenches. <laughs> Thanks guys. Yeah. Super fun. So thank you guys very yeah. much. That was fun. Thanks Jesse. Thanks Bye. Marilyn. Bye.